I think the most athletes do much too much volume in training. This is maybe the biggest mistake. And they don't look for the quality of their movings. The Triathlon Show 219. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Philip Seip, who is the coach of, uh, among others, Sebastian Keenley, Laura Philip, and Florian Angert. In this episode, we discuss Philip's coaching methodology and uh, his thoughts on uh, the training that uh, are used by by the athletes that he coached, which, uh, as you will know, are some of the most successful on the long-distance scene, with uh, Sebastian Keenley uh, being third and Laura Philip being fourth in the Ironman World Championships of uh, 2019. So sit back and relax. We'll get right into it after thanking our sponsors, Precision Hydration, you can find them on precisionhydration.com and you can find founder Andy Blow in last week's interview, episode 218. That's definitely a good place to start if you're new to hydration or electrolytes or precision hydration to get an idea of what it is that they're doing, which is to produce electrolyte supplements, but more than that, to be like consultants for athletes and help them with hydration and race nutrition strategies, which they do through podcasts like the one that we did last week, which you should go and listen to, and also with their blog, their newsletter, and other channels. You can get 15% off their products on precisionhydration.com with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. So uh, we are changing the system a little bit for getting the discount code. We have a specific landing page. It's linked to in the show notes of this episode, in the episode description, in your podcast player. And you can just type it into any browser, roca.com forward slash TTS, as in that triathlon show. And uh, the reason for this is uh, pretty obvious. I'm sure that uh, some of you may be aware that uh, discount codes can spread on the internet and reach people they're not meant for. And the discount code that that we have here is obviously meant for only listeners and not for people that Google Roka discount code. So this new system with the landing page is uh, a way to to prevent uh, the code from spreading to people that uh, should not have access to it. So uh, go to roka.com forward slash TTS and that's where you will get your discount code, which as usual will give you 20% off your entire order. So apologies for this uh, being having changed uh, quite a few times recently with first code changing, but uh, this system with landing page, it should work much better and be a sustainable solution because you can always go to that page and find out what the current code is and uh, yeah that won't then need to change the way that we have had to change up the code uh, a few times before so one more time roca.com forward slash tts where you can get your 20 percent discount code for wetsuits tri suits swim skins goggles and high performance eyewear on roca all right without any further ado here's uh, coach philip seip Okay, welcome to that triathlon show, Philip. How are you doing? Hi, good evening. Um, yes, I'm doing very good. Um, yeah, thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's uh, good to have you. Uh, 
listeners of the show will probably know you most as a triathlon coach and you have some famous athletes like uh, uh, Lada Philip and uh, Sebastian Keenley and others but uh, where i want to start is to ask about uh, you also coach some other sports than triathlons can you talk about that a little bit oh i started in the past uh during my studies in heidelberg um with like performance testing um and it was all over from handball to basketball uh ice hockey soccer um and it was more or less just performance testing in strengths and in endurance and so i got a look or a view into uh different sports or different type of sports i saw on instagram that uh, you're also working a little bit in cross-country skiing now is that just a fun project or or is that something that you're doing more seriously Oh, at the moment, I've got uh, yeah two or three different athletes uh, behind. No one knows about it <laughs> till now. Uh, yes, I, I'm working with uh, a cross-country skier. He's a friend of us, and um, he is yeah older than 30 years. And um, yeah, he's still doing uh, very good in cross-country skiing. And it was interesting um, to work with someone from a different sport kind of sport. And uh, the structure in building endurance or um, the specialty building endurance in age over 30 years uh, was interesting for me and to get in touch with a winter sport here. Yeah. Uh, so when you were at uh, university in Heidelberg, uh, was it uh, exercise physiology or sports science that you that you studied? And, and that's how you got into the uh, lab testing and performance testing setting? Yes, um, in Heidelberg, it was during my sports science studies and I, for the master degree, um, it's a special degree for, for high school teacher in Germany, um, called Staatsexamen. I had to do a, yeah, longer scientific work, uh, scientist work. Sorry for, uh, my English. Um, this, I had to do an edit, uh, yeah, a study for testing with different protocols on um, spirometric testings. And yeah, during this work or before I started it, uh, I had a, yeah, like a assistant work for um, the German Olympic Center in Heidelberg. And that was a good chance to learn a lot about different sports. Yeah. So is there any example of something that you've learned from some of these early days or working with athletes in different sports that uh, that you are still to this day finding very useful in your coaching of uh, triathletes and, and endurance athletes? Some Maybe something that comes from completely different sports like football or handball or something? Yes. Uh, I think I learned a lot there. It was the yeah how important strength training is and what means motoric coaching or training and i learned a lot about how coaches or how other coaches deal with their in their sports uh it was uh, super interesting for me to see the how they build relationship how they build strengths how they build uh tactics and um this was interesting to for me to have a look at it and to see what what makes the detail and so I was able to find my own red line in triathlon coaching. 
Yeah, and uh, motorics and biomechanics, that's something that uh, isn't really talked about that much, especially in long-distance triathlon. It's uh, quite often it ends up being a focus on physiology, metabolism. But do you think that that's an area that is missed, that people are not focusing enough on uh, motorics and biomechanics, even for long-distance triathlon? Yeah, that's um, uh, one of the biggest topics many, many people uh getting get out of focus in triathlon and i think um having a yeah a perfect bike position and pedaling or pedal stroke in swimming or pedal stroke on the bike uh swimming stroke and the perfect running technique helps to build efficiency um, much more than uh, other things especially on the long distance on shorter distances you can cover it with uh, a super good engine and on longer distances it becomes more and more interesting um to have a yeah efficient running style to have an efficient stroke in the water and because if you have to bring too much effort to swim fast um yeah it costs a lot of carbohydrates at the end so can you give some examples of how you work with your athletes to make them more efficient runners cyclists and swimmers if you can yeah talk a little bit about each of the sports how do you make somebody more efficient Oh, there are different ways to do it. You you can go with video coaching. You can go with one-on-one coaching. You can uh, you have to look for the detail and to um, make them improve it. And um, they do. They have to work a lot of uh, stuff in this basic level. And if they if you have the chance to focus in basic level on technique, um, then basic level training becomes much more interesting. Maybe like. Uh, yeah, three times 1,000 meter swimming, for example, is not very interesting, but they have to do it. And if they focus on, for example, breathing or the right, uh, on the right stroke uh, and stuff like this, or the yeah, center of gravity in the water and feeling these points um, and finding connections and finding key points in these movements, um, I think this is super important. And to get into a dialogue with my athletes about these details and that makes them stronger Mm. do you mostly incorporate the technical work within for example swimming so they have a set three times 1000 meters and they have something they need to focus on or do you also use a lot of drills uh, like sets of specific drills that are outside of normal swimming and then you do the swimming or how do you work with with that Oh, I try um, to build these drills with them together so that they have their individual pack of drills. They help them. And we work a lot with the language. Like we, we talk to each other um, and find the, the key points in the um, in the complete movement. And um, it's the same with all movings in triathlon. It's a cyclic or periodic uh, moving, like turning the crank or um, getting one stroke on another. Uh, The same with the strides and running. And that makes sense to have a good mental view or picture um, on this moving. And that makes the quality in the movements at the end. Yeah. Um, In terms of the cycling, do you use any sort of uh, technical devices or data like 
pedal smoothness or something like the Leomo or any tools like that to to help see if a pedal stroke or if the athlete's pedal stroke is really smooth or is it more a case of visually um, observing the athlete and and seeing if there are any uh, any issues with the position or pedal stroke or in general do you, like do you use tools or technology or not there on the bike side of things uh, at the end you can use everything with what helps so it can be video it can be leomo we all use this stuff and um all to try to find points with which helps to come into um a practical work and in practical work we try to find points where we can check if we are still right so you can uh to have this um jump from the lab testing or to to practical relevance this is the most interesting point and yeah i think like the power meters are getting better so you get information uh between right and left foot or you can the power balance and um but you have to use this data to get better uh, and i think you can measure a lot but yeah you to try to to find these details and then to make them better in reality this is this is the connection i try to do with my athletes yeah and do you use any of the new devices that are coming out for swimming for uh, for measuring the stroke and how good that is um yes i'm in touch with smart pedal for example yeah. um i think this is super interesting but um i have to do some education for me yeah yeah um i tried it it's uh it's interesting uh i'm i'm not sure yet if, about uh, what my feelings is is it super useful or is it just uh, interesting but yeah you should definitely talk with them and uh and see what you what you think uh because it uh, it's potentially a good tool yeah, I talked to them. I, I know what it is. Um, but, but to get this relevance and practicing, um, I need a little more time at the moment for yeah. this special tool. But yes, uh, exactly. For, for example, uh, I've, I'm working with an enduro, uh, enduro racer in mountain biking and, um, they, they put in free lap, for example, for uh, getting more into time pressure and, uh, this is an, is another system that works different from this, but um, bringing in this um, to review um, to um, getting into detail in using or how much time do you use and can you re- reproduce this time in a on a mountain bike trail uh, helps a lot. For example, this is a technical thing you never worked before with it, or you can't do with GPS data, for example. Yeah. 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 And one more question on the biomechanics side of things, because I think it's, uh, I actually hadn't planned to talk about it, but it came up and I think it's a very, uh, very important topic. Uh, in On the run side of things, do you have some, like the most important things to look for when, when it comes to a good, efficient running form? What would be the most important things? Oh, I, I, in running, I, I think that's the, the whole body works together. Um, so running makes sense to see as a complete system and um, to help the athlete to get this whole system working. This is the, one of the most interesting things for me. And uh, many, many athletes has strong shoulders from, from swimming, for example, and to get the shoulders in the right position for running and to get this reactivity on the ground and to get them into a strong midfoot style, for example, um, there, yeah, there, you have to be creative to find ways to help every athlete in this 
uh, to get into a good running style in, in, into an individual good running style, um, which is efficient. Yeah. Do you also use plyometrics and running drills to work on that reactivity from the ground? Oh, I don't use or don't do this, um, yeah, basic drills and running. But, um, for example, there's the coordination ladder. And, yep. yeah, I try to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, yeah, we use mobility pre-running, like the movement perhaps many people know from soccer. Um, yeah, I use what helps. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, good. I think I think that's it's really great because uh, I'm definitely guilty of uh, uh, not uh, having uh, biomechanics and uh, and the importance of it be as big a part of the podcast as it probably should be. So I'm glad that this topic came up uh, so that we can talk about that a little bit. But uh, let's uh, move on. And uh, well, we mentioned uh, a lot of Philip, Sebastian Keenley. Uh, who are the other pros that you're working with at the moment? Oh, at the moment I've got Florian Angat from Germany. Um, he did a very first debut on the um, Ironman distance in Barcelona with a 7.45. And yeah, um, he's good. Um, yeah, and I, I love working with him because he's step up, step improving and I had the chance to build him up over the last three, three and a half years now. And um, yeah, I'm proud of this work. And then I have Yannick Schaufler. Um, he's a young under 23 racer in Germany and um, I think he's one of the best in Germany in this um, thing and he was 13th in the World Cup this year and the year before he was second in the European under 23 World Championships and he's getting closer um, yeah, to the elite level now and um, yeah, I, I enjoy this work because it's no no one knows about it like uh, everybody knows about that I work with Sevi um, but To build up these young guys is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, and probably exciting as well to get the shift between the long distance and the draft legal short distance stuff to get uh, get that bit of variety as well. Yes, I, I think this the short distance is so interesting, and it's like a yeah, you can see it as a basic for longer races, but you can also see it as a different sport. And this to develop the sport, um, yeah. It's super, super interesting because I love the speed in the sport. And uh, I think uh, even on the long distance, you see the times are melting down year by year. Um, and yeah, the the better the speed education is in like the age between 14 to 24, uh, um, the better the long distance results will be in the uh, future. Yeah, yeah. So are these athletes, uh, do you work with uh, them remotely or do, do they get together with you for, uh, do they train in a group or do they have their own training groups? How does that work for them? Oh, I would love to work every day with every athlete one-on-one. <laughs> that would be the best, I think. Um, but we have remote coaching. Like I, I think almost everybody is doing it. and um, But... To build up high performance level, uh, I think it's necessary to work in this one-on-one, -on -one, and so we try to get in touch as often as possible. Yeah. So, so how many camps, or how how often would you get together in a year, for example? Oh, it depends on what what which athlete it is. Um, so, Florian, Sebi, um, they live like a thirty to fifty minute drive from my house, 
and they they come really often uh, to Heidelberg and so we can train together we can check running technique we can check uh, lactate level for example or we can check athletic um, yeah the if it fits or if it still fits so that we have a like a sweet spot learning and um, Yannick uh, he moved houses from German Olympic Center Saarbrücken to Heidelberg and um, yeah we we see each other yeah two or three times a week um, so we can do track workouts together. Uh, yeah, that helps a lot. And Laura is my wife. She's every day with me. So, um, we've got the chance to do or to get in touch really often. And I think that's, for me, it's the most interesting quality of my training. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that uh, Laura has a good video on YouTube that uh, I can actually send a link to that in the show notes where she uh, introduces you and uh, and how you work together. So that was uh, that was a good one that is uh, I'd, I recommend that the listeners go and, and look at. If you describe your coaching philosophy or how you think about training in general, what can you just go into that what are your thoughts on on coaching and, and training for triathlon whether it's long or short distance oh i i think training is um the thing to get into a sweet spot learning in endurance training in motoric training in strength training and to keep up this learn level as high as possible and um to find or to find this learning level together um is my work and um yeah to get people in touch with the right stuff to the right time um this is like yeah like the art of training um and then you have this yeah you can put it into two parts like coaching this is my my coaching for personality for knowing the strengths uh, of athletes and on the other hand is training this is more like a science and to combine it yeah means being a coach i think so the sweet spot of of learning what does that can you explain that what what does that mean because you said on the endurance side and on the strength side uh is it uh finding am i understanding it right that it's finding the right amount and the right type of each type of work and or is it also about uh, maybe on the endurance side for example combining that with challenging or always working on really good biomechanics or uh, just explain that a little bit when, what you mean when you say sweet spot of learning oh I, I think this is in several areas you can do it in strength training or in endurance training or in developing your personality and to find these windows when they are open to to do the right things at the right time for example in training um look at building basic level uh in like eight uh, eight to twelve weeks and to readjust um, the intens intensity at the right point for example to build it up and to see okay we've got an adaption in this point and then then start increasingly slow the the level so that they have um yeah uh like an increasing learning or increase like the super compensation thing and yeah. um yeah and sweet spot means that you have the fastest learning you can get and this means like I started in training and the thing is I through this individualization of training helps me to get um, the best out of every athlete in comparison to the um, 
the system we've got in Germany, for example, with the federation, um, they use, for example, more or less for everyone the same approach. Yeah. And I try to find the best approach for every athlete. And yeah, so these are different systems. And maybe this is the thing, uh, yeah, what helps me or what yeah. my athletes. Yeah, yeah. So a very individualized approach of find, finding what works for for each person. So in some of the main parameters, when, when we talk about the training aspect, endurance training, uh, volume and intensity, uh, how do you... Uh, think about those two parameters and uh, do you think that volume is really important and obviously some will be doing more than others or do you think that some a lot of athletes do too much volume perhaps and you fall more on the intensity side what what are your thoughts on that the answer is it depends on <laughs> it's the individualization thing and i i think uh, at some point in your life you have to do a volume approach because you have It is an endurance sport which lives from the repetition of things. Um, but at some point, uh, and if you have a, like a diagnostic um, tool and you know, okay, um, I'm, I have a super solid level. And uh, for exa example, my uh, VO2 max is lowering down. Um, then you have to find ways. And in many points, you have to be recovered. Uh, to get into a high intensity training into. And, uh, so this is, it depends on where you are in your biography, in your training load. And then, uh, I can answer this question if, uh, what helps. Yeah. Okay. So you do work with testing quite a bit then in, in the lab, uh, to, to figure out in athletes via two max and, uh, economy, presumably. Uh, how important is testing and how often do you go to the lab with uh, with the athlete to do that testing the answer is again depends on uh, for example um, to have a status and to know for example when I did this like eight to 12 weeks cycle in training and I want to check if it works or not then I go into lab and um, do new tests and look for the economization or if I have some goals in the winter and I try to check them before doing the next step. So to make sure that my training has worked, that, so there's no black boxing. Mm, yeah. And, and, and if it works, can you be pretty confident that uh, repeating that training with the same athlete uh, next year will, or it will be more likely give the give good results or do you have to, I guess, find a new stimulus, a stronger stimulus to get the same results next year. Have you analyzed that at all? Oh, this is just like, um, yeah, knowing athletes. Um, but I think you can't be sure to do the same stimulus again and get the same result. So um, this is like, you can't do the same training for a 20-year-old guy and for a 30-year-old guy. So the needs become different. And um, the, like the a diagnostic tool helps you to yeah to aim right in training. Yeah. What do you, when you say that the twenty-year-old guy and the thirty-year-old guy need different training in general? Like on average, the average twenty-year-old developing uh, athlete versus the average thirty-year-old, perhaps probably long-distance athlete. What? How uh, do their training needs differ on average? <laughs> the, 
this is hard to answer for me um, because I don't know the exact athlete. So um, I, I can tell you that, the, um, for for example, for Sebi, it's super interesting to have the speed in mind because if you are getting older, like Sebi is now 35 years old, um, he has to get his eye on uh, being as fast as possible. And um, we tried to work a lot on it, on the leg speed, for example, in this year. And uh, he did very well. And, um, yeah, we were not very um, uh, on the bike. It was not that good this year. Um, but we tried to focus on it. And uh, this is like, or this is an interesting thing for an older athlete. Uh, for a younger athlete, maybe the motoric or strength work becomes more important because they maybe are not that efficient like others are or like older athletes are. So they have to do this efficiency training um, without losing speed in top level. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I exactly. try to educate them in motoric skills, for example, to have like, they, they have to be able to run thousand meter in 230, for example. Yeah. At what point in a developing athlete's uh, age uh, would you say that it's time for them to start uh, increasing their volume? Because I understand that probably when they are pretty young, they're still juniors or under 23s. Maybe you don't want to push that volume too high. But at some point, uh, especially if they are planning to go into long distance later on, you, as you said, you want to have that that period of a lot of volume what would be a good age to start to think about that and and increasing the volume oh this is an answer or an answer i can only give if i see the biography of the athlete and um if athletes did uh, for example a lot of volume in their um teens um it would be interesting to to work on their speed if they have a super good speed level from the teens um you have to get into a volume work at some point, for example, to get them to Olympic distance racing because they have crazy 5,000 meter times, but they uh, will die in a 40K bike ride. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, you have to look at the physiology parameter and, um, yeah, and then start developing them from this point and maybe see their talent level. Some people have a very good fat oxidation by, by nature, and uh, to work with them in all these parameters. Yeah. For long-distance athletes like Lauda or Sebi, yeah. do you have, uh, how do you uh, plan out their season? So uh, let's say that Kona is the goal and uh, you might have a, an Ironman like Frankfurt or something in the summer. What is the general periodization like if you describe a little bit what's going on in different parts of the season? Oh, I think there is no secret. This is like the building part or the basic level part in the winter. And you try to build a solid level, um, which helps you for a racing period. And, um, yeah, then for example, you have this usual German season between May and July. And then maybe there is an, like a little break and then you build up for 70.3 worlds and Hawaii. Um, this helps you to put it into two big parts the season and then you have this yeah basic uh, building up for me is more important to get this individual approach than to get this um, stiff periodization in training um, yeah so I built up like 
I know that they have training camps right there and I try to build in these um, parts in their training. And then I, um, yeah, like a list of needs and I will set this list of needs. So I have to do what I have to do first and second and third. And then we talk about the year and then we find a hierarchy in our dialogue. And yeah, that, that helps us. And then, then I will build their everyday training plan. So this is, yeah. And uh, for example, I have the need for some processes in the physiology needs this amount of time. Yeah. And others needs longer or shorter. And um, yeah, this time of adaption is super interesting. So let's say that uh, we work with an athlete that uh, that is uh, weak in terms of their speed. They they have a good endurance uh, and good fat oxidation, good economy, but uh, but not very high, good high end speed. Is that something that you would uh, start working on early in the season and uh, keep it throughout the season, or would you introduce that later to make sure that you don't lose it by not using it, so to say? What, what do you think about that sort of reversibility aspect? Well, I would say that you have to build speed first, and then you will be the, uh, build the rest. And because it needs time to build legs, leg speed, for example, or um, yeah, reactivity running um, takes takes a lot of time uh, more than physical adaptation. And mm. um, so, so I try to build it in that they have it every week. So they have their technical sessions or they have their sprint sessions. And yeah, I I think the activation of all muscles or the, the big muscle groups helps so you can cover some or you prepare some stuff in the gym to bring it to running and then to motoric education so um yeah to combine these things to a to a whole thing helps a lot yeah yeah uh so as an example could you give us uh just an example of a training week. It doesn't have to be one of your athletes, but uh, maybe you can make up an athlete or you can use one of your athletes if you want to. Uh, that's, of course, mm -hmm. fun as well. But a typical training week right now, as we are in January, what might that look like? Um, yeah, we can look into maybe one of Laura's weeks. Uh, yep. Yeah, it, it is combined. Like Laura has to build basic level strong basic level and there she's very good or solid work and we try to to hit the right numbers uh in these weeks so there's a good amount of bike riding and um salmon swimming and we carefully build back the run shape and running is divided into like a short speed works hill reps and maybe a longer run But if the bike level increases, I take down the longer runs. And if she's at home, we have more longer runs, for example, and going on the trainer for um, bike rides. So I try to keep this time on the trainer as short as possible. So to do training as, as effective as possible. So maybe Laura, Laura's longest ride at home is two hours uh, on the trainer. And yeah, um, and before an adaption day or a rest day we usually do strength work in the evening um and yeah on the on the rest day for example or on the yeah or easier days um it helps to do um yeah like this 
core work or upper body and mobility or some coordination stuff, um, which is not that strong in physiology work. And yeah, so we try to bring in the volume. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how big volumes are you doing on the bike and the swim and the run respectively at the moment? Um, with Laura? Yeah. Um, it's in between, I would say, um, the biggest week of Laura would be around 30 hours uh, in the building or in this winter uh, time. And um, yeah, and it, so then there are around 18 to 22K in swim. And uh, on the bike, it's hard to say because if she's on, on Lanzarote, there are intervals and then a lot of climbing. Um, so this is hard to say. It can be between 300 and 500K on the bike. And um, yeah, especially in training camp, there there there's less running, like between 25 and 45K per week. Okay. And what what will Laura's biggest running week be before like later in the year when in peak training for for Ironman races how many kilometers will she run then? I think between 69 and 75. Okay. Okay. And and when you said that on the run she's well she's building volume now so uh, but uh, introducing some speed and some hills yeah. are those all pretty short intervals uh, or what, what do those uh, those biomechanical uh, power type workout look like um oh, you you um like you have to look what, what what she needs to build for example if i can if i'm able to build like this development area like um upper um, ventilatoric threshold two i can go much longer on the bike and on the on if I want super high intensity, I can do it very good on the uphill run, for example, in between 45 seconds to 75 seconds. And, um, yeah, so, so, and leg speed, you build maybe between 80 and 200 meters, or you start with super short flying sprints. And yeah, you, they can be creative to build workouts. They help. Yeah. Yeah. And and on and finally for the swim and the bike. So you mentioned a lot of steady work, a lot of building volume. Do you do any other types of uh, quote unquote workouts or like harder work, or is it all steady? No, for uh, it, 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 no, I, I do as less as possible steady work. Um, but it helps to do steady work in a steady pace. For example, if you ride two hours on 200 watts, um, it helps not to have um, a standing crank for 10 minutes. So it's like it's time under pressure um, theory. You have to, and if you get it in on a trainer, you have like 120 minutes under pressure and then you can get off this bike and start um, the recovery or the adaption. And this helps a lot. Uh, to bring in these areas right, not to be like 14 minutes sub 150 watts and for 15 minutes like over 240. So if you hit the right area, you will get a better effect. This is, uh, yeah, for sure. And on the other hand, we try to work in the intensity stuff like super high intensity, um, like 10 to 12 watts sprinting on the bike. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you for that example. That's uh, that's really interesting to to hear. Uh, what do you think are uh, some of the the most important things outside of swimming, biking, and running? Can you just describe your thoughts around things like strength training and uh, nutrition and sleep? If we, I guess, we can start with those three yeah. aspects. Strength, nutrition, and sleep. Yeah. All three factors are super, super interesting. And, uh, yeah, sleep, you, you can say sleep and recovery. And, uh, recovery is one of the, uh, yeah, big factors you might, is the difference between professional and amateurs. And even professionals have to learn a lot about recovery. So uh, what do you mean by that? So if, if you are a professional, um, you obviously have a lot of time available to you to train and you can you, you make, can make sure that you get enough sleep during the night. But uh, when you get a new professional, what are some of the perhaps things that they need to learn to really get the most out of their recovery and, and really perhaps take the next step and, and reach another level by improving their recovery? They have to learn when they have to eat, when they have to refuel, how they sleep. Do they sleep really good? Do they use like blue light before sleeping so they destroy the, uh, the efficiency of their sleep? Um, they have to learn to, uh, yeah, let things go to, to get in to, uh, yeah, this, this mindset I, I want them to have. Um, yeah, this is, what is the what is the mindset you want them to have uh the focus on racing and to do before racing to do to do their best to get into a racing shape not to do training because it's training and this process um okay you you have to um like it but um you have to to have this big goal in your mind and to get into a developing process and yeah to find these details mm. yeah and uh, for nutrition so you mentioned there when to eat and how to refuel yeah. uh, can you give some uh, yeah what what are the the most important things there like or how should you when, when should you eat how should you refuel give give some basic information around those aspects Oh, this is a huge, huge topic. So we could do an extra podcast with it or maybe 10 podcasts. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think one of the most interesting things is how to get in carbs during exercise um, and when to do them, like the periodization of carbs, for example, and um, when to bring in proteins. And this this makes sense to talk about and to do it like an, yeah, planned not not like um yeah so you so you always tell your athletes that for this ride you can have this much carbs for that ride you uh, should maybe not have carbs yeah. and, yeah. and so on it's always in the plan yeah. okay and and what what are the general what is the general philosophy around that how in how many of their workouts that you do will they not be allowed to have carbs or should be done fasted perhaps and and when you do have carbs, is it uh, to make sure that you can uh, you can do the quality in that session if it's a harder session, or if is it as important even if it's a 
a normal basic endurance ride, but just to make sure that you recover in time for the next workout. Oh, now we are again at this limiter lists, like um, the needs of training. So some people have to build in this efficiency or the like the fat burning. Then they, then there are different needs, like the, if they have to build speed or they have to build like an yeah aerobic performance. So the, it's, again, the answer depends on and find the individual way and the individual pros, uh, profile gives the answer for um, how I'm building the plan. Uh, and yes we have uh so now i lost it a little bit um so so you have to look into it for for example you will want to build fat oxidation there will be this fastened rides um there will be fastened rides in zone so so to have to make sure they are in this right zone i want them in uh and on the other hand it doesn't make sense to do a like an uh I like to sit um, sprint workout um, to do it without carbs wouldn't make any sense. So yeah. you have to make sure um, to make it fit like their um, status of nutrition and or the status of fueling and the um, goal of the session. Yeah. And I guess that the way in this case, the way that you find out what the athlete needs, what the individual needs are is based on the, metabolic testing that uh, that you do if they are strong or weak in terms of fat oxidation versus carb oxidation and so on is that right yeah that would be the best thing if i got it all the time and yeah this is like an ideal scenario i don't get it every day <laughs> but yeah but, right but but you have all all your athletes go to the lab may at least at the beginning of the winter training or at some point in winter training so that you can see where they are and and then uh, obviously it takes some time until they go and test the next time but then you get a, a snapshot of what it looks like at that point yeah i i think all my athletes have like three tests in between december and march for sure but um some tests are better some so they they are not all around heidelberg so um or all around zurich where my um favorite institute for testing is training and diagnostics so um yeah sometimes the quality is not as i wanted to but uh, and sometimes i do some rechecking to uh, make sure that i hit the right area with my lactate mo mobile lactate uh, um tool so yep. um yeah it's always like the the vision i want uh, i have like doing it perfect um, and on the other hand, to, to stay in the practical work and w what makes sense, what, how much time it takes to do testings. So the perfect thing is to do it just beside training, uh, so that it doesn't take too much time and to have, yeah, like a question and an answer, question, answer, question, answer, uh, structure. Yeah. Question, yep. answer, uh, and reaction. And then, uh, yeah, this is the sweet spot thing. Right. And uh, and strength training. Uh, we've alluded to it already a few times, but can you describe a little bit more about how strength training fits into your philosophy? Um, yeah, in strength training, um, there's yeah maybe the uh, 
there are a lot of different goals. It's like building a resistant to fatigue, building a basic athletic level, um, building like you, maybe you need more muscle mass, for example, with the girls who wants to, uh, who has to build muscle mass on their legs to get in, uh, or to build the right pressure on the bike. Um, or there's the goal to have this, um, make muscles firing, um, with the boys. They have, maybe too much muscle mass and you want to lower it down, but to have the strength all the time and there to find in the right level. Yeah. It helps to do like the DEXA scan and or work with EMG, uh, stuff. Um, if there's something not firing like a glute or, or hamstring or, uh, the lower back and this, this are goals for strength training and to do the maximum of individualization in strength training is the same stuff. It's, It's demanding, but, um, and I, ha I, I learned a lot by myself into working with different athletes and seeing their, uh, strengths and their weaknesses and to find solutions for it. Yeah. With the EMG measurements, that's, uh, quite interesting, uh, because I used to work in the office next to a startup company that made a pair of yeah. uh, pants that had integrated yeah. EMG measurements. So I got to try them a few yeah. times and it was kind of cool. Uh, do you use uh, some sort of product like that that can be bought or is it something that the university has created that is kind of custom for the university or how, how do you include that? Oh, I don't know which lab you're working to, but I, I have used a pen uh, um, EMG pen or we can use it and this helps to, to check if your glutes or hams are firing with 2 watt per kilogram, 4 watt per kilogram, 6 watt per kilogram and uh, but, but this is also new for me and you, you can combine this stuff or you can use it for, for a squat and you will see where the weaknesses are or you get detailed information you can even do it with a look from outside and look for the quality of the moving movement. Um, th this depends on the question and uh, it's a lot of knowledge you need for this uh, testing. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe the control of the movement helps as well uh, for the beginning. And uh, even if you uh, have no chance to change it in this spe special point or specific point, and uh, then you like bring bigger weapons if you don't get an answer in the easy way. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the final question before the rapid fire questions is uh, what yeah. do you think are the most common mistakes that uh, athletes and coaches perhaps uh, do in uh, triathlon training? Oh, I just have one thing from the last question. Uh, I use blood flow restriction training. This is a kind um, of strength training um we use and i didn't mention it before uh so come to back to the common mistakes um i think the most athletes do much too much volume in training this is maybe the biggest mistake and they don't look for the quality of their movings mm, yep do, do you think that the is that the professionals or the amateurs or on both sides i think it's on both sides <laughs> okay yeah so the rapid fire questions, uh, and these are very short. So take 15 seconds or less to answer these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? 
Oh, yesterday evening, I started to read the book Mega Brain, uh, New Tools and Techniques for Brain Growth and uh, Mind Expansion. This is not that new, but uh, this is like uh, today, it's my favorite book. <laughs> because Well, yeah, I, I, I love everything that has to do with the brain. <laughs> so I'm putting that on my list. <laughs> what, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Oh, it's hard to answer. Maybe it's the spirometric system and the mobile spirometric system would be a dream. <laughs> do, do you use any of the mobile uh, systems that exist? Or oh, I want to, but, but at present I don't have one. <laughs> okay. And uh, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your uh, tr- coaching career? Well, there's nothing I regret, but um, I, I think to to gain as much knowledge as I can, uh, to have as much tools in my pocket as I can, um, is one of the key factors to be a good coach. To find a yeah, to have a tool for the right situation. If you just know a hammer, you will always use the hammer for every problem. And if you have got a big toolbox, um, so um, I would recommend to learn as much as you can so you have to uh, have the whole picture and to find or to have the right tool in your pocket for every problem and yeah this helps and then you have to bring things to an order yeah that's a that's a really good uh, good place to end this interview uh, thank you so much philip i really enjoyed the chat and and learned a lot so really appreciate the time uh, where can can people follow you on uh, your on instagram do you have any other social media or anything that you uh, want that you use no at the moment i just use instagram um because i was not looking for more athlete at that one point uh but i'm building a website and um yeah things are growing and so at the moment it's instagram but i um working in the background on uh yeah on the website for example okay uh well let me know when when that's done and i'll put a link to the website as well in the show notes in the meantime we'll have the the instagram so yeah. that people can find you thank you all right thank, Fa- you, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening yes thank you very much and have a nice evening I hope that you enjoyed that episode, the conversation with uh, Philip. As usual, you can find the show notes on thatdraftlaunchshow.com. And uh, something that I did that I thought might be useful is to... I've tagged the episodes where I've interviewed coaches where we talk about specifically uh, the way that elite athletes train. I've tagged them with the tag elite, (laughs) which is very creative of me, I know. Uh, but uh, they can now all be found on a specific page for that that I've linked to in the episode description and as well in the show notes so that you will be able to, if you like this kind of episode, then you can go and check out all previous and uh, future episode on that uh, topic as well. And I think it's important to realize that there are differences between how amateurs and elite athletes train and how they should train, obviously, But there are also similarities, and uh, there are a lot more similarities than differences. The big difference is obviously the scaling down that amateurs need to do of the training uh, for obvious reasons, but many of the principles still remain the same. 
So at the point of this episode and several upcoming interviews where we also have a similar approach talking with coaches of elite athletes and how they train their elite athletes, which I tend to ask about some tips for age group athletes as well, but the main focus has been uh, interviewing them about their methodologies with elite athletes. Uh, but uh, even though they are specifically centered around that topic, they all still give you just as valuable information because they're all talking about best practices in training. And many, many, many of those best practices, although not exactly all of them, will be applicable for you. And uh, then the main thing is just realizing what you need to scale down and uh, yeah, to match your uh, the time that you have to train and the ability to recover that you have. So that's something that I thought was important to mention. And uh, the next uh, guest that I'll have, so next Monday's episode, will be with Craig Kirkwood from New Zealand. He's the coach of uh, Hayden Wild, who is uh, one of the most exciting young draft legal athletes on the circuit, uh, has been very successful already. And also Sam Tanner, who is a fantastic runner. So uh, we co- we talk about uh, elite training, but Craig is also somebody who coaches a lot of age groupers. So we'll get into that topic as well. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. Of course, we have the first Q&As coming up as well in between. If you need any help with your training, go to scientificdraftlon.com and check out our training plans and coaching services. And uh, we would be happy to help you if there's anything that you need help with. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Remember to go back and listen to last week's episode with founder Andy Blow. And if you want to try Precision Hydration's electrolyte products, you can get 15% off with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And big thanks to Roka. You can find them on roka.com forward slash TTS. And that is where you'll get your 20% discount code for wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, prescription glasses. All of that developed with perfection in mind and high performance in mind. Very much recommended. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.